Welcome to Leadership Bites with myself, your host, Guy Bloom. This is a leadership podcast where I have conversations with colleagues, I chat with guests, and sometimes they'll be just me talking. You can connect with me at livingbrave.com. And when you enjoy the episode, subscribe and please tell everyone. Boom, here we go. So, Andrew, fantastic to have you on this episode of Leadership Bites. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So I know who you are, and I always start these episodes off by just asking the person just to introduce themselves and just set the scene for uh, the role that you inhabit. Yeah, sure. So um, my name is Andrew Tenzer. I am the Director of Market Insight and Brand Strategy at Reach uh, PLC. Um, If you're not aware of Reach, we're the largest commercial news publisher in the UK, and I guess we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, in a minute. Um, Essentially, I am in charge of uh, a number of different areas, really. Uh, One is uh, providing market and audience insights to many stakeholders uh, across the business. Um, I'm also responsible for driving brand strategy uh, for many of our iconic uh, news brands. Um, And I've now moved more into the executional element as well. So I now run a team who are responsible for uh, creating engaging brand-led content uh, to reach new audiences, particularly younger audiences uh, in uh, youth audience platforms like, you know, your TikToks and your Instagrams and and Snapchat, etc. I've just started up my first TikTok channel. Going for it. I literally started it up over the weekend. How did so, you find it? Well, <laughs> it was it was very um, it's it's very interesting, uh, and as, as we, this this is one of these conversations that's going to dip and dive as we go. Yeah. But what's fascinating is what I've noticed is, and I'm sure it's similar, that I used to be all about Facebook, and now I can't remember the last time I went on Facebook. Then I was all about Instagram. Since I've had TikTok, I don't think I've been on Instagram. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean it's it's, it's addictive. Yeah, it's it's very very addictive. Um, in a way that I think probably some platforms had a while back, but I mean, it's just the amount of time people spend on TikTok is just crazy. And I think what I find in- incredible, well, we'll pull ourselves back to the, the conversation in a minute, but this is kind of part of it, is just the, um, just like with products and that kind of the lifespan of a product and the um, disposability, I guess, of a product. It's incredible to see that, platforms also have that almost obsolescence that they themselves probably can't recognize because they ride a crest and a high and they go sit with the lords of the world <laughs> you know <laughs> and then boom <laughs> you know the next minute i mean they're still enormous but then this other machine comes along and i can't imagine what would come after tiktok but i know something's gonna come yeah yeah i think about that a lot actually because <laughs> uh, obviously we have to think about the future and you know how how things might develop and yeah you're right at the moment it it feels like oh what 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 could possibly come along that could you know be be the next the next big thing um but it probably hasn't even been invented yet well there's some 14 year old about to do it i'm sure i'm (laughs) sure (laughs) so listen talk to me about iconic brands you know what are the iconic brands that reach uh has under its umbrella and that'll just help give a sense of your you know kind of your playground so to speak yeah so we i mean we have a a a big mix of of news brands and and other titles so um our kind of uh big national brands like uh the mirror um we also have the daily star and the the express um we also uh own okay magazine um which you know i'm sure everyone is aware of um and then uh we also own about 70 uh, websites and uh, regional brands across the UK. So uh, many iconic titles like the Manchester Evening News, the Liverpool Echo, uh, Chronicle Live. Um, so there is there isn't really an, uh, a city or location in the UK uh, where we aren't present. Um, and um, you know these are brands that some of them going back you know a hundred years. Um, so we're very proud of the of the number of titles that we have within our portfolio. So I came across you on, um, I think it may have been Instagram actually, 
Oh, was it TikTok? Or maybe it was TikTok. Must have been TikTok. I think it yeah. was TikTok then. It must have been TikTok. TikTok yeah. <laughs> maybe I'm not. I'm not quite sure if I was on it then. But yeah, I wasn't on it. But I was browsing it. That's right. You've you you got me there. And I saw you on a. Um, I think I call it a panel interview. Yeah. Um, and there was a. You were asked. There was a particular question that was posed to uh, the panel. And everybody kind of, I'm going to let you bring it to life so I don't mess it up by um, telling half a story. But what I, what caught me was two things. A, what you said and brought to the conversation. But B, was how the response was relatively generic from everybody. And that, when I say generic, that doesn't mean necessarily it wasn't valid, but it was almost what you'd expect and then you kind of came left field and went well actually now you've asked boom and off you went and i was like hello and um so can i just get you to bring to life you know what it was why you were there what the topic was maybe the question that was posed and just how you came at it and i know that's putting a lot of the onus on to you but i really don't yeah. want to mess it up um, by getting that wrong uh, that's fine so um so that the the event in question was an event about um, social purpose marketing strategies. Yes. Um, so lots of brands consider, uh, you know, taking a stance on a political issue as a means to driving greater business success. Um, and this is the prevailing orthodoxy within the marketing and advertising industry. Um, and it gets talked a lot uh, by very senior people in the industry that almost like it's a brand's responsibility to, to kind of save the world and how, you know, the advertising industry can save the world. Um, and over the last sort of five years, uh, alongside my co-author, uh, Ian Murray from House 51, um, we've published uh, a number of kind of uh, big studies uh, to the industry uh, which essentially challenges um, current thinking, the current orthodoxy, not just on social purpose marketing strategies, but lots of different things. Um, and one of the things that has been the focus of our research is how advertising and marketing is one of the, the most elitist professions in the UK. And basically we've proved through kind of um, many different techniques that people working in advertising and marketing unconsciously see experience and interpret the world differently to the general population um, and in relation to uh, well one of the things that we've talked about a lot in our research is that whilst we think that social purpose marketing influences buying decisions actually all the evidence that we have uh, suggests that this just isn't the case it isn't a key factor um, so the reason um, I get asked to talk a lot of these sorts of panels is because they are uh, their purpose is such a big subject in the industry, um, and you know, as someone who maybe challenges and uh, challenges the current orthodoxy, um, you know, I get invited along, um, and you know, as far as I'm concerned, I don't feel like I'm saying anything controversial. It's backed up by hard research and evidence and i think the challenge is essentially what i i said at that at that uh you know that came across in that TikTok was essentially that people we're here discussing whether so you know social purpose marketing and what social purpose brands should should go after in their advertising what causes should they take on and the point i was making is that you know we're currently in a cost of living crisis and people don't sit at home all day thinking what a brand, you know, worrying about what a brand thinks or believes or even behaves. They're thinking about, you know, how am I going to pay my, my next, you know, my next bill? You know, the research published recently found that, you know, 50% of bill payers are saying that they're really struggling to pay their bills. And that's increased significantly just over the past four months. And so the idea that, you know, people are going to, by brands beyond kind of, you know, uh, that might have a, a higher purpose when people are, are thinking quite inwards at the moment because of the challenges they're facing. Um, and for some reason, you know, speaking what I think not to be, I, I don't consider it to be that controversial. However, 
it challenges the current orthodoxy and that's why i think it it took on kind of a life of its own and had you know hundreds of thousands of of views on tiktok and you know drove lots of you know debate about it and you know it was um it is it's always interesting i did one uh, last week at um at ad week and a similar discussion um and you know like i said it, it doesn't feel controversial to me but people say oh, it's very brave to say that in a marketing <laughs> conference or, or, or things like that but you know i'm interested in in the truth um you know what works best for brands in terms of how they're going to grow their grow their businesses so without turning it into because i know what i'm like once once you ask me on a topic that i'm actually interested in i'm like well hold my beer because i can talk about this for the next three weeks so just you know what is the essence of what it is that you're offering that is um and i like that phrase you know i don't see that i don't see this as particularly um well it might be challenging but i'm not trying to be disruptive you know when i it, here's the data and if i'm you know I'm, I'm happy to be wrong but until somebody shows me something to the contrary it turns out i might be right so what are you what are you highlighting what, what are you bringing out to 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 bring that that challenge in what sense well not, what, what is your position around you know if we bring that that question that was asked on the panel and maybe bring your answer to life that that you uh you, that you that you gave yeah, so i mean over the last sort of three or four years we've been doing a lot of research around buying behaviors and factors that influence uh, buying and um it's really interesting because a lot of what we a lot of what we do to our kind of marketing and advertising community is is show them how out of touch they are with the, the general population obviously marketeers and ad people are meant to be or they position themselves as experts in the understanding of people but it turns out that um when we when we put this to the test they they get it wrong quite a lot of the time in terms of understanding motivations uh, aspirations of the, of the general public um so when it comes to buying it's it's, it's quite simple really um we we you know as a researcher by trade you have to make sure you ask the question correctly and you're able to take into the nuances of how people actually buy so essentially what happens a lot of the time in the industry is people will publish research um with which is quite biased and leading so as an example if i said to you are you more likely would you agree that you're more likely to buy a brand that does you know good things to the environment you know of course you're going to say yes and then i might say to you okay so when was the last time you bought something from amazon and you'll most likely say in the last week or the last two weeks in fact i buy, buy <laughs> from that quite regularly 24 hours or do 24 minutes yeah so i think i think there's a there's a challenge there because often what people say and what people do is uh is different but, and there's also social desirability at play. So you have to ask these questions in a way which doesn't get fully to the bottom of it because no one can replicate a proper buying consumption situation. But there are techniques which where you can get a hierarchy of what's important. And essentially the way we've done it is what it finds is that, you know, people who buy brands based on, you know, a political belief of a brand or a stance on a particular issue is round about nine to ten percent of uk adults who say that you know when they buy brands they consider that that's probably slightly more due to social desirability bias than, than the actual truth um but what comes out massively at, at the top you know at 80 percent is things like price value reliability all of the things that I think the industry has considered, oh, these are just hygiene factors and that, you know, things like, uh, you know, a political stance or a social stance is actually a differentiator where actually if everyone's doing it, then it's not very distinctive at all. Um, but the interesting thing with our research is we do a lot of research amongst uh, marketeers and advertisers. And here's the interesting thing, because if you ask marketeers and advertisers the factors that influences their buying, they score very low on those social purpose things too and then when we ask them 
you know, to predict which factors uh, people buy, they predict those factors to be very low as well. So it's really interesting because then what happens is that no one really believes that people buy based on those uh, kind of a political stance on a social issue or things like that. But it's become kind of like the prevailing orthodoxy uh, within the industry yeah a few people start talking about it and it's all of a sudden and this is the thing is i think it's a a small a small cohort of the industry who are kind of you know at the you know the top who are kind of forcing down a narrative and orthodoxy which i don't think genuinely most people really believe in um and this is only from a from a marketing strategy perspective when i have to caveat this all the time because you know when it comes to things like diversity and inclusion purpose inwards in your own organization and doing the right thing absolutely those things are incredibly important we need to be sustainable we need to focus on uh, being yeah. a more diverse industry um and you know if brands want to you know donate money to the world wildlife fund or just just do that anyway like you don't need to 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 market it because it's not going to be as effective as you think it is so i guess that's where where we're coming from this is this is fascinating there's a lot for me going on here because and and please you know my my naivety might be a beautiful thing here or it might be uh, it might just be what it is naive so course correct me um but if you say two things are 10 pounds one of them has social purpose and the other one isn't which one are you more likely to buy i can imagine are the one with social purpose why yeah. well, they're both 10 pounds so that might sway me one's t- one's 10 one's 20 but the one with 20 has social purpose which one are you going to buy well and if i am one of the 10 percent who's who's geared that way i might very well buy that but the majority would maybe at that point go well if all things were equal i'm going to go for that but if they're not and i think that's that's the point is that things are never equal right so if you think about all the different factors that go into buying a product you know it's you know it's uh knowing a knowing the brand in the first instance um the value you've had from it previously all, all, all of those types of things so this is the challenge of um in a very basic sense yes if i had exactly the same product in front of me and one was recyclable and one wasn't and it was the same price i probably would choose you know i know i would choose the recyclable one i think we all would but the simple fact is is that that kind of option is never really as simple as that and but the, the interesting thing on on people that would buy um i guess what i would call uh, what I'd call ideological buyers, like people mm. who are really kind of your conscious consumers, which verified through other books uh, shows around about nine to ten percent of the population. But the interesting thing about those people is they're much more cynical about brand claims anyway. So they so the brands that so the, pe- the 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 brands that are kind of pushing social purpose, these big like you know. Uh, they're not going to they're not going to be the type of brands that these people are going to buy anyway they're going to be looking for your sustainable organic don't want to you know fund these big businesses etc etc so in any in in, and and they're also just much more skeptical about brand claims because the interesting thing within all of this is that the question everyone needs to ask themselves is are brands credible agents of social change and all our research suggests in most cases probably not so only 17 percent of uk adults trust brands to act in a socially responsible way uh, that's actually lower than the government uh by about 15 percentage points in our in the research we've done so the idea that you know brands have this kind of right to kind of push social change upon us you know I would say they lack the credibility there because people just ultimately don't really trust them to do the right thing. And again, I'm fascinated. I have a client that was one, and I absolutely won't say who they are, but they were, are a fantastic group of people and they do an incredible product that I have in this house. And I just make sure it's now not on display actually behind me. So there we go. No, it's not quick check. <laughs> I was going to say, I was just it's doing actually, a recce. I just realized it's just there. It. So I'm just going to keep it there. But the point is, Totally credible, beautiful product, 
love everything about it purchased by a global you know global phenomenon um who completely aren't like that but they've bought this niche product so the you know when we say you know our brand's credible the answer is yes sometimes you know like I, I use an underarm deodorant that's um you know completely not got any chemicals in it and it's blinking fantastic up until the point some bugger buys it <laughs> and and then i wonder you know when does it then stay as it is and it's still a very credible product you know and i can trust it or does the fact that it's been now owned by this global entity does it now get tainted in my mind even though it's not changed <laughs> yeah. you know, i suppose there's all these variables going on for and that and that 10 percent then of people that are really paying attention they would pay attention to things like that they'd know who yeah. owns what but the average person wandering around the street they're going to see that niche brand you know, and they won't know maybe that it never really existed in the first place. It was created like that or so there's only a few that will peel back the curtain and have a look behind, I think is is maybe yeah, I mean I just that. I think that, you know, most like I said that and have said many times, you know, people are not sitting at home thinking about what a brand believes <laughs> or or even behaves to be honest, because yeah. you know, you only have to look at um like i said with with amazon um huge uh, yeah. you know <laughs> the way they've they've treated their workers and you know lots of scandals evolving yeah. you know many of these these big companies including facebook i mean yes we talk about people moving away from facebook but they're still a you know a global organization yeah. that people use and still oh, spend yeah. you know huge amounts of time with um so i think there is i i think that with anything you know people in the industry obsess about things which most people don't really care about and of course that's our job um as as marketeers and and people that are there about but equally we're we're there trying to understand people mm. and unfortunately there is a bit of a market orientation gap um and you know i i think that's because we are quite far removed uh, in terms of our social background um etc etc which kind of creates that that gap so am i hearing from you so i'm again looking at the world and what's happening in academia with pronouns and you know the uh the, that kind of especially in the us that incredibly kind of uh i want to be careful when i say the word woke but the negative version of it where this is ultra sensitivity around language and gender and and that to me you've got the whole world that's getting on with its life going to tesco's and sainsbury's or walmart or whatever it's doing and then you've got a very small percentage of the population in academia who are focusing on verbal linguistics and you know ultra kind of linear thought processes and i wonder if that's typical where at the top of any genre or, or any whatever it is you've got that elite group that eventually gets so far above themselves <laughs> that they start to go into their own little ecosystem they start to go into their own uh way of being and and, and if i'm hearing from you correctly in, in marketing is it because there's a lot of middle class upper middle class they've gone to university they're looking at it through a very a very singular lens is that part of what that is because again i see that in academic scenarios it's a it's, it's an ecosystem well, it's elites it's, yeah. it's elites isn't it so um you know without wanting to go into things like uh pronouns and stuff like that because yeah, you know, I, that. Uh, yeah. I, don't, I don't think it's probably a probably the right discussion but um yes essentially what we i mean if you there's a very good book on this uh called the the class ceiling by daniel lorison and, and sam friedman um, and this is where I guess the inspiration um, for our study, the aspiration window that we published uh, a couple of years ago, actually during the first lockdown, we published it. Um, uh, we, this, the inspiration, so my, my co-author Ian Murray from House 51 had been talking about this for a long time. And um, initially in our previous work, we talked about you know, left-leaning versus right-leaning and the marketing and advertising industry, you know, self-identifies as left-leaning, etc. But actually, when we took it down to the class 
social mobility argument it became a lot clearer so essentially what you find is that you know 70 percent of people working in advertising marketing grew up in a household where the highest income earner was social grade a b and it's that's compared to 29 percent of the uk population and all of the research we've done we've used um we've used lots of different techniques from the world of social sciences um from um from cultural uh, cultural psychology um, we've done all these tests on people in uh, you know a big uk population sample and people working in marketing and advertising and essentially what as i said at the beginning what we find is that you know people in advertising and marketing and and kind of people who are at the kind of top end of society they just see the world differently because their experiences are different and yes this is a case of often you're talking to yourselves and that's just not a marketing and advertising thing i'm sure it's the same in the legal profession i'm sure it's the same in lots of professions i, I think we saw that in under jeremy corbyn mm. in the uh in uh, for labor where you had a very small group of kind of activists who believed that you know what they thought everyone else believed because they mostly lived on things like twitter um twitter is not representative of the uk population in any way shape or form yet it feels like uh, certainly from a political perspective and these niche arguments is where you know people live on it and then they take that application and apply it to the to the real world it's, lazy, it's, it's very it's, far it, removed it's lazy as well some of it i think and i don't know what you think about this that it, it's not reaching out of yourself and reaching out of your environment so twitter's easy i don't have to go anywhere there is my answer i don't have to go to the streets of liverpool or manchester or glasgow and wander around and speak to humans because you know everybody's on twitter aren't they no there's about four percent of the population on twitter <laughs> you know? yeah i mean well it's 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 the the key thing about twitter as well is that a lot of people don't even you know it's 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 a it's a very small minority who yes. constitute most of the conversation on there the very loud minority and it and it, it I think it warps our sense of what's going on in the UK. Um, but I do, I do think that uh, the, the industry, the, the difference between the advertising and marketing industries and, and things like legal, let's say, is that you know, the advertising and marketing industry is, is, is having to communicate to the whole population. They've got to identify things that are relevant to those audiences um, that will help them, you know, will help, help us to, sell our products more effectively and i think there is a real problem and i think it's i think it's it it's going to take a long time to to fix and i think it's been you know it reflects the wider changes of society that have been going on probably for the last you know 20 years um if you've not read the road to somewhere uh, by david goodhart um you know, his his book was something that really kind of turned me on to the whole the whole thing. I read it. I joined what was uh, we're, we're Reach now, but we were Trinity Mirror back in the day. And I joined just after, you know, a few months after the, the EU referendum. And, um, you know, I started reading these, uh, you know, various books. But The Road Somewhere really stood out to me because David Goodhart, you know, talked about the, the somewheres and the anywheres and how they used to be much closer together in society and then the any the anywheres who were kind of like this small liberal elite had basically just you know parted and moved further away from the kind of general population and i think that's just reflected in 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 many areas of life so i don't think the advertising and marketing industry is is a is any different it's just a microcosm of, of what's been going on in in society and even things like you know covid i think it, that was a classic example of lockdown you know 50 percent of the population didn't have the luxury of working from home uh you know it was a very class-based impact really you know on on everything and and i always think i always think back to my my history teacher at school who um <laughs> who would say about British history, like the words she would always say is, one thing you need to remember is class underpins everything. And it's something that as you, as I've got older, it made me realize, you know what, it's still as relevant today as it was. I know obviously the boundaries have changed and we're living much, uh, you know, we're, we've never had it so good in terms of, you know, our living conditions and whatnot. 
um but it's still it's still something that rings rings true to me because i think there's a general perception certainly amongst as i as i've experienced in media and the advertising industry etc is that class doesn't class divide doesn't really exist anymore because you know everyone has an iphone and, and all, all of these things but actually still very very relevant very relevant and class divide and or versus financial divide and i'm not even smart enough to start to talk about the differences too specifically other than the haves and the have-nots or the the people with money and without the per i was just watching somebody just i think this morning and he was just talking about look i work in a factory I work hard, I, I put some money away, I, you know, I try, you know, I'm a good person and, you know, blah, 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 but I, and I just saying about how much he earns, you know, I earn about, you know, 38,000 pounds a year and, you know, stuff like that. And, and you think, and the effect of what's happening right now in the world, you know, he said, it was all right at first, but now I'm having to, you know, I'm not turning the heating on. Now I'm not. Why? Because, you know, I was living at a level. I don't have a, you know, I, I have a Ford Escort or whatever you were saying he had, probably not, but something, you know, it was all of a level. You know, he was living to his means. And I do think that is very interesting where you have people that it may be biting in but i still go shopping at marks and spencers i still we may not have a holiday this year but that's fine because we but we'll still we won't be turning off the lights or not streaming netflix or the way the world seems to affect people i don't know if that's you know maybe that is still class but it, it's there's something there about the financial realities for people yeah and I, I think it's more yeah it's more than just financial realities i think we've done some interesting stuff over the last few years around quality of life and then right. by household income so you know generally of course people rate their quality of life uh you know the, the more they earn the higher their quality of life but actually it's relatively flat until you get to the sort of you know highest earning 10 percent, where you start to see yeah. a steeper line in terms of quality of life but what's really interesting as well is you ask we ask people working in marketing and advertising to predict or estimate people's quality of life at different um, at different levels uh, of income. And it's interesting because essentially they underestimate the quality of life for anyone earning under sort of 50 grand a year or more. Um, and then they massively overestimate the quality of life for people earning sort of you know 50 60 grand plus their life um, must be and it's just, their own yeah, more, exactly right? so it's, it's a more materialistic Viewpoint. framework in which they in which they apply but i think you're absolutely right you know there is with, with the cost of living you know there will be it's 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 about that value isn't it it's yeah. what, what do i value that i can still keep but get rid of something else um but you know the cost of living is you know that's something that going to going to have a huge impact on you know not just the the advertising industry but you know mm -hmm. businesses and brands and i you know we're only we're only at at the start of it really because once the other price hikes come in october i think it is then mm -hmm. you know it's it's a concerning picture i think i think i'm interested andrew because i focus on the leadership space the podcast is called leadership bites and what what drew me to you as a just what you were talking about and all of this that we've we've been saying but there's internal comms there's organizations that are obviously you know trying to win hearts and minds and they're in in essence marketing internally though never enough energy normally goes into that but i'm but i again see a link between that top echelon having a sometimes an uh, an echo chamber of their own voice coming back at them because they are very often having people play the game upwards and echo back what they think you know that senior team wants to hear there's no there's no rocket science in me saying that and so there is something about when a brand is advertising potentially at a more esoteric level versus the reality there was a film um i think we may have spoke about it when we chatted briefly but was it with dudley moore and he was an uh, he was an advertising uh in advertising and he suddenly just started to tell the truth 
there's an old film and it's got Dudley yeah. Moore and I'm sure it's Dudley Moore uh, and he plays an ad- somebody in advertising and he, I think he gets hit on the head or something and all he can do is tell the truth things like Volvo boxy but safe you know and he just starts telling the truth in advertising and of course the response is phenomenal and yeah. of course he's hailed as some guru and how do you do it and he's going well I'm just <laughs> just telling the truth yeah but what's 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 your angle no no there is no angle i'm just saying it as it is and they just can't wrap their head around it because it doesn't well, there, there, the there is a there is a bias called the prattful effect um which brands don't use enough of right where they essentially just sort of tell the truth in their advertising and uh and you know it, it like like you said be be honest and and show a weakness because actually there's um there's a whole lot of you know academic research which finds that you know people that show a weakness are more trusted they're more you know so it's that you, marmite you know love it or uh, hate it's, it's, it yeah yeah exactly and it, you and, might and not like it and that's yeah, okay you might not yeah. like it and and like yeah. you say like the old classic kind of vw ads from the 50s and 60s um and some of the classic ones where it's like you know faster than a ferrari when the ferrari is not moving you know that that type of thing yeah um you know that's uh, and that's based on you know research uh, academic research where they did these cool experiments where someone went into a room to give a talk and they drop a glass of water over themselves and then they start talking and then in one they don't and then it turns out that people are much more trustworthy and like the one that dropped the water versus the one that didn't so it's it's an effect it's a bias which isn't tapped tapped into enough i think um but to your point about inward purpose um absolutely those are the things you have to you have to balance don't you um i think i i I still think that that as i've said i said it at the um ad week panel i did did last week on this is that i think perp we should be looking at inward purpose Hmm. rather than outward purpose um, because I think that if you're a, if you're a business that you know goes is focused on you know making your uh, that employee engagement piece make it more attractive for people to come and work get it culturally right show that you know we're we're being sustainable we're doing these things we're focusing on diversity and inclusion we want to get a more diverse workforce we want to get more cognitive diversity all of those I think you know can be done inwards. Um, I don't think anyone's necessarily going to be complaining if the brand they, that's, that they own, for instance, is, is advertising something unrelated to a higher purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, I, think it's, I, think, I think it's very easy for people to say, well, inward pur- purpose automatically leads to outward purpose. But I think they're two very, very different things. And there are lots of brands out there that will donate money to various causes but never put it in their marketing in their marketing or advertising because they're doing it because they want to do it it's the right thing to do rather than doing it to try and sell something Mm. Um, which you know whatever way you look at it people can look at that cynically so to speak so there's nothing wrong doing it if your business is grounded in in social purpose take brands like patagonia or tony's chocoloni which you know is focused around um you know how chocolate is made and 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 things like that absolutely that's core to their brand so that's that's your diff that's your distinctiveness it's when you get other examples where it's almost like you know mark purpose social purpose should be a business strategy not a marketing strategy but all too often, it's the other way round. It's a it's a marketing strategy, but it's not really core to the business and who they are. So when you get a product that its entire persona is, say, socially based, is there also something then about balancing that reality with what the actual decision-making criteria of somebody is? who isn't that way orientated because otherwise your audience is going to be very very small well that that's a really good point i was talking to someone about this last week in reference to tony's chocoloni because i don't know if you ever had it but i've never even heard of it it, it, yeah well yeah it's 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 a it's pretty expensive i mean it's an expensive chocolate bar um and uh it's 
it's yeah i mean it's, it's expensive it's clearly going after a very niche audience um its whole purpose is around you know fair trade mm. uh, how how people are treated when they're making the chocolate i don't I don't know the i can't remember the exact ins and outs of it and i was thinking to myself well yes you're right there because ultimately if i don't really buy a product based on that well we know that's not a key buying uh, behavior otherwise why are cadbury so big <laughs> why are nestle so big etc um, they obviously don't Nestle or things like that don't focus on or kind of those types of things in their advertising but um, you're right that it's niche um, because ultimately when I look at their advertising I think to myself oh why don't you just focus on the product for once because it actually is really good I mean it is really good um, some of the best chocolate I've ever had but you wouldn't but the problem is it, it is that and also if you want to look it's very expensive so whether yeah. they if they want to expand and grow their business then they might have to produce cheaper alternatives etc yeah, yeah. etc et and it's that point in which you think well actually you're going to have to tell people about the product <laughs> you know well, you could turn around and say you know, do you remember Stella Artois? You know, it was yeah. reassuringly expensive, right? Yeah. And you could go, listen, we're, we're expensive, and here's why because we pay yeah. fair and blah, blah, blah. But here's another thing it tastes amazing. Yeah. You could still but they don't do that, but they, they don't do that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. They don't. They don't really focus on uh, from the, the marketing I've seen. I've not seen anything. Any of them focus their <sighs> communications focus on the product itself. The client I, one of my clients, who I was talking about earlier. I'm, I'm going to literally send him this before I edit it. I'm going to go, I want you to watch this because I think their product is better than the other products that are cheaper, that are synonymous with what they do. And I've given, I've said to a couple of other people, just try it. And they've gone, oh, it's way better than A, B, C and D. But yeah. that's not how they advertise. They advertise on their raison d'etre in the world and, and all this kind of stuff. So it is a little bit more expensive. It is. But I now, I was given a freebie. I was at the head office and they loaded me up and I went, oh, thanks very much. Never have normally bought this because, you know, for whatever reason, went home, started using it and went, oh, it's brilliant. You know, better. Now I would buy it, not because of, weirdly enough, because of what they represent but now i think it's a better product <laughs> but that, that's the thing like the, the goal of marketing is to take people who would never buy it yeah to buying it to try it because the thing is is you know there is a belief that that um that attitude that that what comes first is attitude and then behavior follows a lot uh, most of the time what happens is behavior and then attitude follows so you've got to get people to use the product before you can you know do you see what i mean so it's yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. kind of like the goal of marketing should always be what what levers do i need to pull in order to get this person in category who never buys my brand to at least buy it once and then you know because that that's what will drive enough. your volume if it's good enough, it will have an impact. Yeah. If it's a mediocre product, then getting it in their hand won't prove anything. But yeah, so you're, if I'm hearing you there, get it in somebody's hand, they try it, and if it is significant quality, they'll go, oh. And it'll, well, be, that, a that, it'll yeah. be a disturbance to their frame of reference. Yeah, and, that, and that's the, the point, is that, you know, for instance, like, a, you know, a Tony's Chocoloni, um, you know, there it, it's very it's it's very hard for that to be a, a mass product, just mass market product because it's very expensive. Um, but also, I don't it, you know they don't focus on the product at all. And you know why will you know people? There's a value exchange, right? People will. It's about getting people to trial it in the first instance, um, which is very very difficult to do if you don't really know anything about the product because they're not telling you about it beyond. It's made by, you know, we're we're, we're campaigning against Tony, the way people are treated, etc. <laughs> yeah, maybe Tony. Um, but I think I think that is the I think that is the challenge for kind of those kind of niche brands. Mm. Um, but it, I mean, I you know, I, it's it's very good chocolate. I don't feel like well, I'm. I'm, well, I'm marketing one, going the product to myself. Least, we're going to sell at least one more bar. Yeah. I'm going to go and order. Well, he's one. Only go straight out and buy it. Yeah. <laughs> at least one. 
Yeah. Well, they well, should think... go into influencer marketing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll just do, do podcast episodes. Yeah, yeah. We want to so I think what I'm thinking about internal comms, there is something here around really challenging, um, I guess, what it is that you, not that you think that you're, not what you're trying to get across, but the manner of it. And I don't see people researching in some respects in a manner as you have done within organizations to speak to people at the different levels of the organization not to say do you agree with the message but what's your engagement with the message and what's the manner of it because when you get organizations talking about profit or EBITDA or various phraseology, you know, the, the average human being and even, you know, our CEO is moving on. Now, every now and then that's important because that CEO was incredible, had a massive impact, was incredibly engaging and people really felt connected to them. But the majority of the time, you know, somebody in a call center, for example, goes, I couldn't give a rat's ass. But, but I think I think that's the point is that businesses are a microcosm of the laws of Boom. brand growth anyway. And that's because why ultimately yeah, you have a small, <laughs> because yeah. ultimately as you might with your, with your, uh, you know, your, your brand consumers or your wider market is that, you know, there will be a small cohort of people who are super engaged in everything the business is doing. Um, and then there will be a much larger group of people who are responsible for driving your business forward yeah. just like that larger group of people who might only buy your brand once in a year but they're responsible for you know much of your volume in terms of your sales um who are just you know in, in at work who just want to turn up and do their job and, and and go and go home that's not to say that all of these things that are being done within an organization is still signaling it's still signaling to people that you're at an organization who's trying to do the right thing and you know it's not going to do any harm to your business but there's also coming to terms with the reality that you know in a big business with lots of employees not everyone is going to be as engaged as yeah. as you are or whoever might be running initiatives and whatnot but actually i do think that you know being as inclusive as possible and 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 trying to involve people in the process in processes does help i mean i know for instance well reach we have been um you know we hired a, a head of dni um last year who's made such a huge impact in the business um and one of the the first things you know that was done was 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 basically going and speaking to everybody you know bearing in mind we have five thousand employees at, at reach you know there was a real concerted effort to speak to all members across all different levels to try and understand what people want um, and even people that weren't traditionally you wouldn't expect to go along to these things went along because they felt involved so I think I think there is there is a, a chance to include people and involve people people will give up their time to engage with these things if they feel like they have a say but it doesn't mean that then they're going to go away and then become you know champions and you know it's going to become a you know a huge part of what they do but i think signaling is important like it, it as much for recruiting new people to your business as well you know i know from experience um that you know the types of questions that people ask me in interviews now people would never have asked me that five ten years ago um, you know the dynamics are changing people want to know what what diversity and inclusion initiatives you're you're doing um, they want to know what your approach to mental health is um, what the approach to flexibility is all of these things which I quite like because I think it puts the employee in control in a way that they might not necessarily have had previously because there's so many dynamics at play um so i think very conscious of the fact that when you're recruiting for people you're you're recruiting against other businesses who have you know other in, has initiatives that that you know that you have to compete against as well so and that's a very um again i don't know if you'd say hierarchy or talent orientated but you know 
I'm pretty sure the Amazon driver isn't asking that question when he goes for a job, right? No, absolutely. Uh, so it's, it's, again, it's geared towards, and I hate to say the word talent because that's an awful phrase because it almost denigrates somebody that's doing a pretty labor-intensive job. But that that sort of generic uh, or vernacular phrase, talent, is you know people who can make decisions, I guess, who can walk with their feet. They may, they may very well be in a situation where they're asking different questions. I would say even at the very junior end uh-huh. of things, um, you know, oh. obviously I'm, uh, right. you know, I recruit, all sorts of levels into my into my department and even even i think this is the point the biggest change is actually those questions tend to come from the more junior people okay than they do the more senior people mm. so i don't think it's necessary I, I i i don't think it's necessarily uh anything to do with kind of level or seniority i think it's just the fact that you know these are issues that are being talked about regularly you know it's it's part and parcel it's become it's just become ingrained in in how people think about jobs and and working of course some people just want want a job they you know they don't ask these questions but i suppose the point i'm point i was trying to make is the uh, recruiting people now has changed yes you know the, the the questions people ask the things they want to know just just wouldn't have had those questions five or ten years ago so i think the dynamics are changing essentially and that's why all of these initiatives are so important to like you say attract mm. talent retain talent uh, make people feel that they're they're having a difference so we have loads of these great um great uh initiatives across across reach uh you know from kind of you know social mobility which is obviously quite a passionate one of mine and how we can reach out to you know to bring a more diverse workforce um into the business so uh internally i think it's it's huge perfect well listen andrew we've covered a smorgasbord of uh of things <laughs> and uh, i'm just just alert to time for the for, for the for listeners because I with a I always say with a bottle of wine and the right food I I just I just go on with you all week. <laughs> so it's a bit barely for a glass of wine. It, it, it is, isn't it? I have to I have to I have to blow on my flask and pretend uh, pretend it's a cup of tea and not a gin. <laughs> so um, so listen, I'm I'm going to bring us to a close. I'm going to say, Andrew, thank you so much for just spending some time with me just to have this conversation. I'll put. Um, I'll just keep you on for a f- few moments, but I'll I'll tie in any links to Reach, etc., and and any other social media that uh, would be relevant for people to listen to. But just from me to you and those that are listening, Andrew, just thank you so much for your time. Thanks for thanks for having me on. That's it. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please share so others get to hear about us and subscribe so you keep up to date on new episodes. Also visit livingbrave.com if you want to connect with me and find out more about executive coaching, team effectiveness and changing culture. Oh, and of course you can buy my book Living Brave Leadership on Amazon. So on that note, see you soon.